Today I want to talk to you about knowing and doing the will of God. For some things in life, it's really easy to know what God wants us to do. Like, what does he want us to do with his son? Well, obviously he wants us to believe in his son and to submit to his son completely as our Lord. The New Testament speaks unreservedly about the master-slave relationship when it comes to our relationship between Jesus and, and his disciples. Now, that's not a very popular message for today. And so a lot of so-called Christians totally ignore it. Some, some preachers refuse to teach it because it's not a message that's attractive anymore. Well, the fact of the matter is it never was. Nobody wants to be anybody's slave. We all want to be our own master. And there is the essence of sin. I want to be my own master. Whereas Jesus' claim uh, means that he is Lord and that means that he is my master. And to those who reject the demands of obedience to Christ, not only are they continuing in their sin, but to them, scriptures like today's reading would be a complete and utter nonsense. Because here we have, we've got Paul and Silas traipsing all over the countryside, obediently following God, stopping here, continuing there, turning direction there. Uh, Why would they do this? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because Jesus is Lord. doesn't matter what we say or what we do. Jesus is Lord. The only choice before us is when I yield to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, is that a matter of empty words? Um, Is it a mind game? Is it just something we believe, a few facts? Or is it something that's for real? Um, Is it actually true that Jesus has total authority over me and that he expects me to, to respond to him by obedient submission? Because the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles make it very clear that without total surrender to the Lordship of Christ, there is no salvation, that there's not even a starting point. And any so-called gospel that says there is, is not the gospel at all. There's no easy believism when it comes to Jesus. Jesus demands that we forsake everything. To follow him. That's the demand that he puts upon us. The cost is high. Jesus described it as the treasure in the field that you would sell everything that you have to go and get that treasure. He described it as as a pearl of great price that you would give up everything that you have to get hold of that one pearl. So what God wants us to do with his son, well, there's nothing cryptic about it. It's very clear. We believe in him and we obey him forsaking everything else. And unless we get this, then today's reading in Acts doesn't make any sense. And in fact, the Bible in general won't make any sense because it makes some pretty big demands of us. Another matter that's a clear no-brainer is how would God, would ha- how would God have us behave? Well, he would have us behave in love and in obedience to his word. And some of you might say, but, but Michael, that, that's all legalism and we're saved by grace. We don't have to follow God's commandments anymore. Really? Because you're saved by grace, you don't believe you have to follow God's commandments? Well, that might be what the theology of some men say, but certainly not what's taught in the scriptures. In Psalm 111, it says, The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts, that means his commandments, are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever 
to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Forever is a long time. I don't know how long forever and ever is. I think it sounds longer. And Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 5, Therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you better start keeping God's commandments and teaching others to do the same. I think that's pretty clear. And one has to do a fair bit of duplicitous twisting of the scriptures to make this say anything other than what it very clearly says. And so in some things, God's will is really obvious. All we have to do is read our Bibles and it's right there. We, we just know it. But in other areas, God's will is not so obvious. Uh, the moisture is marginal, Lord. Should I plant the crop or not? The cattle prices are really high, Lord. Should, should I be buying them now or are the prices going to go down? I'm so busy running after these kids. Lord, should my kids be involved in less activities? Lord, should I send my kids to the state school or to St Pat's or to boarding school or should I homeschool them? Lord, who do you want me to marry? What of my future, Lord? Where do you want me to live? When should I retire? Where should I retire? You know, in some areas it's not so obvious what God's will is for us, what God wants us to do. And so sometimes we're left to prayer, uh, acting in faith, wisdom, discernment. But I guess my advice is it all begins with handing it over to God. You see, if Jesus is Lord, as we've just talked about, if Jesus is Lord... Your possessions are not your possessions, they're his possessions. If Jesus is Lord, your children are not your children, they're his children. If Jesus is Lord, your future is not your future, it's his future. And your burdens are not your burdens, they're his burdens. And when we realise that Jesus is Lord, maybe all of a sudden we realise that we've been worrying about the wrong things. Because everything that you have and everything that you are responsible for belongs to Jesus. And they're not your problems, they're Jesus' problems. And so every major decision that you make will be a kingdom of God decision. It's not just a decision about you. It's a kingdom of God decision. And so the decisions about cropping and stock are more, Lord, how would you use, have, have me use these things for the building of your kingdom? When it comes to our children, Lord, my children are your children. Help me to direct them to activities that will glorify you and will help them to surrender to your lordship. Lord, in my children's education, may they believe in you and may they trust in you and may they be little evangelists for you wherever it is that they're being schooled. Lord, yoke me with another believer. But whether I be married or whether I be single, may you be master of my home. Lord, how and where would you have me serve you in my retirement, 
In which part of the world will I be most beneficial for your kingdom? Do you see the difference praying in that sort of way when we realise that everything that we have, everything that we are, belongs to Jesus? Even so, we, we pray, we act in faith, in wisdom and in discernment, watching to see what God is doing. And when we see God at work, we join him. Now, today we're going to be specifically talking about seeking God in mission. So when it comes to mission, what is God's will? Where would God have me serve him? Where would God have us as a church serve him? Where would he, where would he have us serve? To whom does he want us to share the gospel? And what partner does he want me to team up with in ministry? Now, I'm going to be doing things a bit back to front today. I'm actually going to start off with a punchline, right? So I'm going to give you the punchline right now. And that way, if you get cold and you freeze to death in your seats, at least you've heard the message before you, before you did so, right? So here it comes. The Lord very rarely lays out the full plan for us in one hit. I suppose if he did, we'd probably go rushing off, all guns blazing, trying to do it all in our own strength, maybe skipping steps that he knows needs to be done. The Lord rarely gives us the big picture. Sometimes we're left wondering. Sometimes we have to feel our way. Sometimes he will give us a clear direction, but only up to a point. And so never should we nail down our plans and say, right, That's what we're doing. That's our direction. It's fixed. We cannot be diverted from this because we always need to be open to redirection from the Lord. But never will our walk with the Lord be characterised by inactivity. So let's set the scene. Paul and Barnabas have just completed their first missionary journey. They've headed off to Jerusalem afterwards and they've sorted out a theological controversy. That's what we talked about last week. Uh, The topic was free from the law but not free to do whatever we like because in our freedom we have responsibilities. We have to exercise our freedom according to the principles of repentance, holiness and love for our brother. Interestingly, the, the issue was circumcision And Paul travelled all this way to Jerusalem to argue that it's not necessary to be circumcised to become a Christian. But now what did we see happening in today's reading? He just gets back, next mission trip, he circumcises Timothy. Um, Yes, now I actually sharpened my knife up yesterday, so if anybody's needing that, we're all set to go. Um, But now in today's reading, so we have a practical demonstration of having love for our brother in the way that we exercise our freedom. Timothy was free not to be circumcised, but Timothy was about to go on mission amongst the Jews and he would be offensive to them. And so he was also free to be circumcised and go through that pain. And he was. So, They come back from Jerusalem to Antioch and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. All right, so we've got a map up on the screen. Yep. So that was their first missionary trip. They headed from Antioch in Syria across to Cyprus and then over to Pamphylia region and there and then they went back again. Now, there's no mention of any specific direction from God, 
um, about going back to all these areas. They just knew that it was the right thing to do, to, to go and continue on ministering where they'd left off. All right? For them, inactivity wasn't an option for them. But as they planned to head off, Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. That's how it's described, a sharp disagreement. Barnabas wanted to take his cousin, John Mark, along with them. But Paul wouldn't have a bar of it. You see, Paul hadn't had a very good experience of of John Mark. John Mark didn't have a very good track record. Um, He'd started out with them on their previous missionary trip and once the Mediterranean cruise part of it was over, he said, righto, I'm heading home. Now, in fairness, we're not told the reasons why he went home, but what we do know is Paul didn't want to risk taking him again because he'd only just started on the trip and he'd pulled out. But we also know that Barnabas did want to give him another go and the Bible doesn't try to gloss over it. It was a sharp disagreement. They looks to me like they had a rip-roaring argument over it. It was something that, was so, that they were so against in their minds that they actually parted company. Now, I can tell you from experience, these things happen in the church where people disagree on the direction that God wants them to go. And when we read this account, we don't know who was right and who was wrong, whether Paul was right or whether Barnabas was right. Because either God didn't give them direction or one of them wasn't listening. We don't know, we're not told, but what we can see was there was quite a painful parting. Paul and Barnabas had been a great team. They'd gone out on mission together. They'd gone into all these places. They'd gone through tribulation together. They'd been thrown out of cities together. That's great bonding experiences. They'd been stoned together. Oh, well, Paul was stoned. I think Barnabas got out of that one. But these guys were close. They'd gone through so much. And now they're planning their next ministry trip and they split. And it wasn't even over a theological disagreement. On the surface, it it just looked like it was a very pragmatic issue. It was just about about the way they were going to do things. But the Lord t- took them both on in service. They were just in a different team. Their team split up, but God joined them each up with another team. Now, in the long run, this is the last mention that we have of Barnabas in Acts. He just drops off. But it seems that later in life, Paul came to appreciate John Mark. Right At this stage, you're saying, he's not coming with us. He's unreliable. He's not coming with us. But later on in in his ministry, it seems that he actually appreciated John Mark and he's actually looking for his company at one stage. And and so maybe teaming up with Barnabas was just the opportunity that John Mark needed to get him going and and to to get him to realise that mission is not something that's for the faint-hearted and to keep on at it. We don't know. So they split directions. Barnabas and John Mark headed off on another Mediterranean cruise. That's probably not fair because I don't think there's anything cushy about sailing in those days. Uh, you just got to look at the number of shipwrecks that uh, Paul himself was involved in. Um, but Barnabas and John Mark, that they begin uh, where their previous missionary trip began and they head clockwise. Right? So they're heading this way to Cyprus and then they're going to head that other direction, we assume. But that's the last we hear of them. Whereas Paul, he teams up with another fellow who we're going to hear a fair bit about over the next few weeks, Silas. So Paul and Silas, 
and they begin at the other end of their prior missionary trip and they head anti-clockwise and they go to Derby. How are you going, Mrs B? Have you... Oh, yeah, there it is, the red line. Yeah. So they head that way. Now, once again, we're not told anything about any specific direction from God and to me, as I read it, it just appears as if they're almost just feeling their way. In the absence of a clear direction from God, they're just doing what they believe is best. And from this point on, uh, we follow Paul's journey and we don't hear boo out of Barnabas or John Mark. Now, do you remember a place called Lystra? On their previous mission trip, we talked about this a few weeks ago, Lystra was a place where they thought that Paul and Barnabas were gods. Right? And so they, when, the, when they healed this fellow, they said, oh, you guys are gods. And, oh, and they start worshipping them and, and the local priest of Zeus brings down a bullock ready to sacrifice to them. And when Paul and Barnabas realise what's going on, they go, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. We're not gods, we're just men. And, and they go, oh, okay. So they stone them. And um, it was a very fast turnaround. Now, that's a very quick version of it. If you didn't hear that message, it's on the web. You can download it. Anyway, it's this place, Lystra, where they are thought of as gods and then where Paul was stoned. They returned to Lystra and it was here that there was a young fella, well thought of by the Christians of the region, and his name was Timothy. And yes, it's the same Timothy that has a couple of letters written to him later on in the New Testament. And Paul wanted to take this young Timothy along with them on the remainder of the trip. And so he circumcises Timothy and away they went. You know, stories like this really get me wondering. I wonder if there's a Timothy here. Timothy was someone who had earned the respect of the other Christians in the area. He'd gotten the admiration. He was someone who although they're really valuable to the local church, his calling was to go out on mission. I wonder if there's someone like that here. Someone who although they're really valuable to the local church, their calling is to go out on a mission or to go to Bible college and become a pastor or a teacher. How will we know? How will we know if somebody here is a Timothy that God is calling? Well, we're not told how. But Paul seemed to know. And I think one of the indicators was that Timothy had been well spoken of by the local brothers. Now, it's a tough call for a church to send someone out to serve in the wider church because that person will be really missed. But the local church are the only ones who will really know if that person is a suitable person to do that. As one missionary organisation put it, if you won't miss them, we don't want them. And that's a, pretty, that's a pretty blunt thing to say, but it's true. If there's someone here who is really, that God is calling to go out on mission, that's somebody that we're going to really miss. But we need to know so that we can encourage that person to go and be obedient to God in that. So maybe it's up to us to recognise if there's a Timothy in our midst. Someone who needs to be encouraged and trained to go out into the world in, on a wider mission field. Righto, so the missionary conti- continues. Verse 6. And they went through the region of Phygria and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. 
Now, this place called Asia, that's modern-day Turkey. It's not Asia that we know of as Asia. Now, this is interesting. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach in Asia. Now, we're not told how the Holy Spirit forbade them. We're not told why, but they must have been sure of it because the one thing that we can learn is they obeyed. They were forbidden from doing it, and so they didn't do it, and so they changed their direction. What began as a mission to go and strengthen and encourage the fledgling churches where they'd been before took a turn. They had to give up their plans and they had to go on a different way because God had other ideas for them. Verse 7. All right, so they're heading up north now, aren't they? Verse 7. And when they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Right, so they're heading north. All right, we're going to just keep going this way. We're going to go up into Bithynia. No, can't go there. There it is again. What's going on? It sort of seems like they're just trying to feel their way, doesn't it? Maybe they've got a bit of a general plan of of where they're going to go, but, but the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus won't let them. So what did they do this time? Well, they obeyed. They changed direction and they started heading west. And when they got to Troas, finally the Lord gave them some specific direction. Verse 9 says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Finally, Finally, the Lord had given them a bit of, bit of clear direction. Go to Macedonia. And what did they do? They obeyed. So from Troas, they sailed to Samothrace, and then on to Neapolis, and then on to Philippi, which is described as the leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. What did they do then? Well, once again, we're not told that they had any clear direction from God. God had just said, go to Macedonia. And so they did. They went to the leading city in Macedonia. And in the absence of further orders, what they did is they went back to what what they'd been doing all along, the same old style of evangelism, which was go to the Jews first. And so on the Sabbath day, right? they, they sat around until the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day, they went in search of a place of prayer and there they met up with a bunch of women by the river. So, That all just sounds a bit mixed up, doesn't it? What do we see here? Well, the Lord didn't give them the big picture. You'd think it would have been so much easier if God had just said, now listen, I want you to go over to Macedonia. And they could have hopped on the ship at Antioch and just sailed all the way there. But that wasn't God's way. Sometimes we're left wondering. Sometimes they had to feel their way. But then the Lord gave them clear direction, head to Macedonia, but he didn't give them any direction after that. It was just gave them that snippet of clear direction. And at each stage they obeyed. They were willing to throw out their plans, throw them out of the window, and they open to new orders from the Lord. But then once again, even once they'd had this one big change of direction, they had to continue to feel their way. They continued to share the gospel and in the way that they best knew how. But never was their walk with the Lord characterised by inactivity. 
What about us? How are we following God in mission? Now, I want you to think of this as a two-pronged thing. How are we as a Christian church, as a gathering of believers, how are we following God in mission? And also as a personal question, how am I personally following God in mission? How would God have us serve him? Where would God have us serve him? Are you a Timothy? Or do you know a Timothy in our midst? Someone who needs to be encouraged to go into full-time Christian service. Who is the Lord wanting you to share the gospel with? Who is the Lord wanting you to to team up with in ministry? Because did you notice here, this isn't something that you do alone. You team up with others in ministry. So when uh, Barnabas said, look, I'm going with John Mark, Paul had to find another partner. First of all, he found Silas and then he added to that Timothy. And by the way, I think at this stage, I think it might have been at Troas. I don't know if anybody picked up on it, but that's when it's, it, um, the narration went into the first person. Now, we know that Acts was written by Luke. And so it looks like at Troas is where Luke also joined the team because it stopped, you stopped talking about they went here, they did this, to we went here, we did this. Um, so, but Luke's... He always keeps himself out of the picture. Uh, I think he might be a bit modest for that. But they didn't do mission on their own. I guess what I want to say is don't get discouraged if sometimes you're left wondering what God's doing. Don't get discouraged if sometimes you you find that you're having to feel your way. Um, Don't give up. If you've started off in one direction, in ministry or in mission, and now it seems that the Lord's wanting to change the direction that you've headed, if there's one thing that we can learn from today's reading, it's the readiness that we have to have to throw our plans out the window when the Lord gives us a redirection. You know, I sometimes get asked, I don't get asked so often now, but I know in years gone by, you know, how long are you going to be in St George for? Oh, I don't know, we're very happy to stay here till we die. But if God says to leave tomorrow, well, tomorrow we'll leave. We have to be open to redirection from the Lord. And never give up. Continue seeking God. Continue serving God in all areas of your life. Do you know what really encourages me about today's reading? Is even though these disciples, they didn't have the big picture... Even though a couple of times the Lord had to say to them, look, you're going the wrong direction, you need to turn and go this other way. The Lord did have the big picture. They mightn't have had the big picture, but the Lord did. And provided that these disciples were willing to be guided by the Lord and to obey him, God was glorified. And we can see this in in the outcome of the ministry. We can see this in the fruit of the ministry. Verse 5 says that, that you know, while they were encouraging these new churches in that early part of their ministry, verse 5 says that, that these people were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. God did his work and God was glorified. And later on when they went on this new mission and they finally made it to Macedonia, we're told about the woman named Lydia who became a Christian and she was baptised along with her whole household. 
God knows what God's doing. You might not know what God's doing, but God does. And God does the work. And as we obediently follow our master's leading, the Lord is glorified. God is good.